0: When I was a junior or senior in high school, uh, we had to go down to the nurse for these routine eye exams. Uh, you probably know what type I'm talking about, where you had to uh, cover each eye and then read off of an eye chart. Well, I did this reading, and uh, with, I started out with my uh, covering up my left eye. My right eye, uh, I could see really well. It was, I think, better than 20-20. But then I covered my right eye, and I'm looking with my left eye, and And it wasn't so good. In fact, it was really, really poor. And the nurse looked at me kind of, and looked kind of concerned. She's like, do you drive? Like, she was acting almost like I was a blind person. So she said that I should go to the eye doctor. So I go to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor does a number of different tests, you know, looks uh, real closely at my eye, And one of the tests that he had me do was he had me wear these glasses. They're kind of like 3D glasses. And then he would show me pictures and say, tell me if any of these are sticking out to you, if they're in 3D. And after that, he he told me, I know what's wrong with your eyes. You have something called monofixation syndrome. like, what? Yeah, you have something called monofixation syndrome. And he explained to me that my eyes were at a little bit different angle. Each eye was a little bit at a different angle. So when I would look forward at something, one of the eyes would be suppressed or one of the eyes would turn off. If I looked to the side, they would turn on, but if I would look forward, only my right eye would be working. So he said, let me, let me show you something. So he had me put on the glasses again, and he said, see this picture? So is it 3D to you? I said, no, it's flat. He said, well, this picture, you should see it in 3D if both of your eyes were working correctly. See, most people who would see that would see it in 3D, but I couldn't see it because of that issue that I had. And I think there's a similar uh, principle when we come to the created order. It says in this text that we just looked at is that creation is something that's meant to point us to the creator. It says that God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through creation, but some, many in the world today, and perhaps some here, have suppressed that truth, suppressed that truth, and so what we see is we just see, when we see creation, we just kind of see a flat picture. We view the creation of the world as a great explosion, as humans are a part of a naturalistic process, we see it as Flat. Others of us here are believers, and we believe that God created the world and that it's God's handiwork, but maybe we don't see God's power and God's purpose in creation anymore. And maybe that's because we don't see it in our lives. We don't see God's power and God's purpose in our our lives, and maybe we need to be reminded through creation today that God is powerful and God is purposeful. I was talking to my grandfather recently, and he Uh, was telling me that he thought it was easier for someone to believe in God if they were out in the jungle somewhere in creation than in the midst of a city with skyscrapers all around. And I think that's true, and I think that's kind of the point of this passage here, that creation tells us what God is like. It tells us that there is a God. Now, someone can't just become a Christian by looking at the stars or looking at creation, but creation tells us that there is more to life than what we see, that there's a design, there's an intentionality there. So creation tells us that God is powerful and God is purposeful. It tells us his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. So it tells us he's powerful. The universe is very large, if you, the speed of light is approximately six hundred twenty-seven million six hundred sixteen thousand six hundred twenty-nine miles per hour. So let's say you could travel at the speed of light, and scientists uh, believe, many scientists believe that's the highest rate of speed you could ever travel at. If you could travel at the speed of light, you would travel around the Earth seven point five times in a second. Now if you traveled that fast for ninety-three billion years, you would reach the end of the, of the universe that we can see. Creation is very large, and God tells us in the book of Genesis that God created the entire universe with, by the word of his mouth. Mark Batterson, an author, uh, says this. He says, you may feel as if you're sitting still right now, but it's an, it's an illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth is spinning around its axis at a speed of 1,000 miles per hour. Every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360. We're also hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even on a day when you feel like you didn't get much done, don't forget that you did travel 1,599,793 miles through space. To top things off, the Milky Way is spinning like a galactic pinwheel at the dizzying rate of 483,000 miles per hour. And God is the one, by the word of his mouth, who, who was the architect of all of this and created it and upholds it by the word of his power. So the universe is immense, it's huge, and God created it by his power, but we also see in creation his power. A few weeks ago, I went to Florida for a few days with my, uh, with my wife and my brother uh, to visit my parents who were down there celebrating the, their wedding anniversary and so we saw a number of people surfing and so we thought we'd try our hand at surfing and so we rented these surfboards uh, and uh, I would be swimming out with the surfboard attached to my ankle and then these waves would crash against me and push me back and I had surfed before one other time it was, but it was nothing like these waves. And so I'd keep going forward, and I'd make a little bit of headway, but then I would get pushed back, and the the water was going in my nose, in my mouth, my ears, and after just a short time, I just felt like I had been through a battle, just trying to get out past the initial waves. And my brother Michael's telling me, were you twisted around like I was? I was just twisted all around by these waves. And these waves were decent-sized waves, but they weren't tsunami waves, they weren't hurricane waves, they weren't tropical storm waves, they were just regular waves. It reminded me of God's power. There's a London-based company, a travel company, and they guarantee, they say, that they'll ha- you'll have the perfect wedding day, that it won't rain on your wedding day. And so according to their website, for $150,000, they have a cloud bursting service that can 100% guarantee fair weather and clear skies. They say it's currently available to customers organizing a destination wedding in France. The service employs the talents of pilots and meteorologists and takes over three weeks to plan and uses silver iodide to seed the clouds, essentially giving the water vapor something to condense around to produce rain. They say success can be guaranteed. However, they also admit if a natural disaster such as a hurricane were to occur, this cannot be controlled. So it cost $150,000 to ensure that it won't rain in an in a, in a amount of space about, what, like maybe a half a square mile, one square mile. $150,000 and three weeks to plan involving meteorologists and pilots. Just a little tiny spot of land to control the weather. And consider the immensity of the weather, weather patterns that we experience. Let's say there's one inch of rainfall. If there's one inch of rainfall, and say your roof is a 40 by 70 roof, it would require 1,743 gallons of water for one inch of rain. Zoom out a little bit to a square mile. How much would it take to cover a square mile? For one inch in a square mile, it would take 17.38 uh, million gallons. Zoom out to Buffalo. If we consider, uh, according to my research, Buffalo is about 52.51 square miles, probably including some of the suburbs. But if you multiply that by 17.38 million gallons, you get 912.62 million gallons of water. That's how much it requires to have one inch of rain in the Buffalo area. For its rain in the entire United States, it would take 61, uh, over 61 billion gallons of water. And God speaks, the rain falls, the snow falls. When we see creation, it should humble us. It should show us that God is bigger and more powerful than we could ever imagine. But it should also encourage us. Because the same God who spoke the world, the universe, into existence calls us his children if we're believers of Jesus. And maybe sometimes in our lives we feel like maybe God has forgotten our way. And maybe sometimes we feel like our problems are really big and our God is really small. And maybe we need to be reminded today as we look at creation that our problems are no match for God. If God could create the universe by his word, he can handle the problems in our lives. Our problems, they might seem big to us, but to God, there is nothing. Remember the story of Job. Job in the Old Testament, he loses uh, his family, loses everything, and God is working in ways that he doesn't understand. And his in ways that his friends and, and him might not even agree with. They had believed that the right, righteous have good things happen to them, and those who are not righteous have bad things happen to them. And how does God respond to them? He responds by reminding them of the power that he showed in creation. In Job chapter thirty eight, verse one it says this Then the Lord answers Job out of the world and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the, the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it burst out from the room when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? And prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no farther. And here shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment from the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know for you were born Then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is? On the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain of Father, or who, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Job and his friends are saying, has God forgotten my way? Has God forgotten about me? And God responds and says, I created all this, and you think that I have forgotten about you. And Job responds in humility and repentance is realizing that God has something big going on, something bigger than he can understand, and that he has no place to question and believe that God is not with him. God is powerful, and creation shows us that. We don't need to be out long before we see the power of creation. And God is powerful in our own lives, and so we can trust in that as we look at God's creation. But not only is God Powerful, but God is also purposeful. It says in the text that His eternal power and divine nature are seen clearly uh, in nature. See, uh, my wife Stephanie and I are different in a number of different ways. And one of those ways is that I'm kind of a big pers- p- picture person and she's uh, a real detail person. And one of the ways that it kind of plays out is how we approach tasks. And uh, for example, if we're painting a room, I would rush and get the whole project done. Really quickly, maybe an hour or two. But if you look closely, I'd probably miss some spots here and there. Maybe get a little bit of paint on the floor. And Stephanie would probably do it in a quarter of the time, but everything would be perfect when it was done. There wouldn't be anything on the floor, and all the strokes would be perfect. I sometimes wish that I could have both of those things together. Like that we could do it fast, but do it really well. But usually it doesn't work that way. It's either you do it quickly or you do it really detailed and really well. But with God it's different. Not only is God powerful, not only did he create this universe that's 93 billion light years long that we can see, but he was also incredibly detailed, incredibly purposeful in what he created. When it says in Romans 1.20 that his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen, this word for divine nature can uh, be translated as the quality of characteri- or characteristic retained to deity, divinity, divine nature, or divineness. I think what it's referring to here is that there's glimpses of God in creation. Glimpses of God in creation. Christian apologists call this uh, something called the teleological argument for the existence of God. And the argument goes something like this. If there's evidence of design and inde- evidence of intentionality, then there must be a designer or maker. Uh, For example, if you came across a painting in the woods, a a great painting uh, by Michelangelo, you wouldn't say to yourself, well, I I wonder how this got here. Uh, Or I wonder how this was put together. I wonder if it just started raining and there happened to be a tree out here and it just turned into a painting. No, you would know that somebody took the time to intentionally paint that picture. The same is true with God. A number of great scientists throughout the ages, some of whom... Uh, maybe started out as uh, atheists, upon studying creation, more and more became believers in Jesus, uh, or at least believers in God. A number of great scientists have done this. I have a few quotes from some famous scientists. Nicholas Copernicus from the 16th century, uh, he was an astronomer uh, and the first in-depth proponent of heliocentrism, said, "...who could live in close contact with the most consummate order and divine wisdom?" and not feel drawn to the loftiest aspirations. Who could not adore the architect of all things? Johannes Kepler, one of of history's greatest astronomers, said this, My lord and my creator, I would like to proclaim the magnificence of your works to the extent that my limited intelligence can understand. Isaac Newton of the 18th century, the founder of classical theoretical physics, said this, The admirable arrangement and harmony of the universe could only have come from the plan of an omniscient and omnipotent being. Carl Linnaeus, founder of systematic botany, said this I have seen the eternal, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent God pass close by, and I knelt prostrate in adoration. Thomas Edison, the prolific inventor who held 1,200 patents, said this My utmost respect and admiration to all the engineers, especially the greatest of them, God. Robert Millikan of the 20th century, great American. Physicist, Nobel Prize winner of 1923, said this, I can assert most definitely that the denial of faith lacks any scientific basis. In my view, there will never be a true contradiction between faith and science. Albert Einstein, founder of modern physics and 1921 Nobel Prize winner, said this, Everyone who is seriously committed to the cultivation of science becomes convinced that in all the laws of the universe is manifest a spirit vastly superior to man and to which we, with, all, with our powers, must feel humble. Erwin Schrodinger, of Wave Mechanics, said this, the finest masterpiece is the one made by God, according to the principles of quantum mechanics. And finally, Charles Townes, physicist shared the, who shared the 1964 Nobel Prize for discovering uh, part of the principles of the laser, said this, As a religious man, I feel the presence and intervention of a creator beyond myself, but who is always nearby. Intelligence had something to do with the creation of the laws of the universe. God created a universe that is orderly. Scientists who study the universe come to the conclusion that there must be an intentionality, a purpose, a design. We also see this design in the human body. There's over 60,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. Dr. Travis Stork tells a few of the things that happen in the body to keep it going just just every day. He says that you had about 20,000 thoughts today. About 100 billion neurons, or brain cells, fire 5 to 50 times per second on average, traveling up to 270 miles per hour. Today you breathed about 25,000 times without even trying. The muscles that help focus your eyes moved about 100,000 times today. You blinked about 15 times per minute. If you calculate that out, it's about 15,000 times today while you're awake. Today, you made up to 3 million uh, red blood cells each second, almost 260 billion today. The lining of your stomach regenerated about 25% of itself today. And your kidneys cleaned and recirculated about 50 gallons of blood today. It's uh, no wonder a lot of us are tired. <laughs> so the body's incredibly complex. It's incredibly purposeful. It shows evidence of a creator. Evidence of intentionality. But consider some of the other things that are beautiful in life. Beautiful red sunset glistening white sand beach, the snow-capped mountains of the Alps, the roaring waterfalls of the Niagara Falls, the shining lights of the night sky, the human body, the vast and varied animal world, all the different foods that we are allowed to experience and eat. And all these things are meant to point us back to our Creator, back to God. But ironically, what it tells us in this text is what human beings have tended to do is to worship the created thing rather than the creator. To make these things into ultimate things. Not things that point them to God, but making these things themselves God. It says that they've suppressed the truth, exchanged the created thing, uh, exchanged the creator for the created thing. Some of us here, maybe we feel as if God doesn't have a plan for our life. Maybe our way is hidden from God and we don't see a purpose in our lives. And maybe you feel like somehow God made a mistake when he created you. Creation reminds us that God doesn't make mistakes. God is intentional. God is purposeful. And if God worked to form the human body with all these different processes that have to occur... And of course, we live in a fallen world, so not everything works uh, according to his original design. But if God created all these things, if he holds the universe that's spinning, uh, with the earth spinning, and all these different operations happening at the same time, if God is that intentional, do you think that God has a plan for your life? He says as much in his word that he has a plan for us. But creation reminds us of that. That if God is that detailed with things... I was driving just yesterday, uh, driving uh, down to uh, Hoden, and we are driving by um, the trees, and it was just beautiful seeing the red and yellow and greens of the trees that are changing. I was just thinking about that, just the amazing fact that you know, they know that it's going to be cold and how God designed that and just that whole process about all these hundreds and hundreds of trees that are in sync that God has formed that way. If God formed all those things, if God formed a tree in such a way that it has that design and that purpose, do you, don't you think that God has a plan for you, for your life? God's creation tells us that God is powerful and God is purposeful. So next time you see a sunset or a waterfall or a tree or human being, or the next time it rains, or maybe even the next time it snows, which might be on your way out, May we be be reminded that God is powerful. He's bigger than we can ever imagine. He can face the problems that we have in our lives. There's nothing that's too big for our God. The one who commands the winds and the waves can handle the things that we face in our life. Let us also remember when we see creation that God is purposeful, that he has a plan and a purpose for creation, but also a plan and purpose for our lives, and we can trust in him. I'd like to close by reading a passage from Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. God is powerful, and God is purposeful. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for the greatness of who you are. We thank you that you are powerful that there's nothing that we can face in our lives that's too big for you. And God, I pray that as we go out today that we would be reminded of that fact. God, I know that some people here may be dealing with things that are very difficult, things that would cause them to maybe feel like giving up or being discouraged. God, I just pray that today creation remind them that you're in control, that you can... uh, you, there's nothing that's too big for you. And God, for those here who maybe feel like God has forgotten them, and maybe feel like they've made too many mistakes in their life, and maybe they feel like that their life just has no purpose, God, I pray that they would be reminded today that you have a perfect plan for them. Despite our failings, despite our past, that you can renew those things. That you can make beauty out of ashes because you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. God, I just pray that we would trust in that today. Trust in your word, and trust in what you've revealed to us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.